I want to preach truth to my heart. I want to dispel darkness. I want to squash Satan. So why, don't, why doesn't it ever feel like, well, not ever, but why does sometimes it not feel like um, that's my reality? And all I can tell you is what I've lived. Spoiler alert, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a theologian, but I'm just going to tell you what I've experienced in my life, and that is... Um, Sorry, my mind just went blank. Hold on. Worship is a discipline. Thank you, Lord. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. Worship is a discipline. So when you invite Christ into your life and he's your Lord and Savior, we exercise disciplines like prayer, Bible reading, worship. We're supposed to be cheerful givers, you know, have servant hearts. Well, all that stuff just doesn't automatically happen because we've invited Jesus into our life and he's our savior. It's a discipline. And what do we know about disciplines? Disciplines have to be taught. We have to learn them. We have to practice them over and over and over. And then they become a discipline. So tonight, we're incorporating a few different elements of worship into our service. Um, if you'll notice your order of service in your um, seat, we are worshiping in spirit and truth through song. Yes, we are going to sing. Um, through word, we're going to pray. We're going to um, read some scripture together. And we're also worshiping through stories. We have uh, three women who want to share chapters of their God stories um, with you tonight, solely for the purpose of shining a light on the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. So their vulnerability, actually, their vulnerability and their act of obedience their scary step of obedience to do this tonight, that is itself an act of worship from their heart to his heart. So um, as we unify our hearts tonight corporately and we align our spirit with his spirit tonight, we're going to start with um, praying a responsive prayer. Um, and I'd like to direct your attention to the screens. And let's see if I can find it in my book here. So did this come up bold and bold print, regular print, it didn't? Okay. Um, say again? It does. Thank you. That's what I was wondering. So, clearly I'm going to read the leader portion. Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand and we'll pray this together while the, the band comes up? And then you will be um, reading the people portion. So, let's pray together. And so, we are gathered here, uniquely in all of history, 
we particular people in this singular time and place. Tune our hearts to the voice of your spirit. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places. Among us are some who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain or sorrow. Among us are some who arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, glad anticipation. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply, for each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply, for each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and eternal. Breathe upon our gathering, O Spirit of God. Oh, we were supposed to do that together. Let's do that together. Breathe upon our gathering, O Spirit of God. Grant each of us a place to humbly receive and to faithfully serve that we might know in this brief gathering a foretaste of that greater communion yet to come. O Spirit, expand our vision. Be at work even now, O Lord. May your will in us in these hours be accomplished. Amen. are just descriptors of who God is, uh, what he's done, what he's continuing to do. So why don't we sing this song and just invite him in. Y'all ready? Yeah? Right. Feels like there's rumors of the Son of Man. The rumors of the Son of Man. Stories of the Savior. Holiness with humanity. Holiness with humanity. Treasure for the traitor. Hear it heard, no eye can see. The image of the Father until heaven, until heaven came to live with me. The rescue like no other. Come on, your word.
sing that one more time. special time. There's nothing like a group of women that are hungry for you. Lord, I pray that as each woman that comes to speak and share, Lord, that you just speak through them. And Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you tonight, God, just touch their hearts. Lord, touch their hearts. Let them not be able to to leave here without knowing you more. Lord, we just love you and we thank you so much again for this opportunity to be together. And Lord, just have your hand all over this place, all over these women. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Y'all can be seated. Hello, everyone. My name is Kyle. If we have not met, hello. Um, okay, so <clears throat> I'm fighting off a cold. It's the back end. I have a cough. If I start to have a cough attack, don't panic. I will be okay. Okay, so I only have about 10 minutes to speak, and I wrote six full pages. So I'm going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, I'm going to share my story about how God restored my love of the scriptures and prayer. So in order to do that, I have to start all the way at the beginning. I grew up Catholic, um, roots ran deep. However, I did not connect to the Catholic Church. It was just, it, it didn't mesh well with me. So I was kind of the black sheep of the family and um, ended up not wanting to go ever. I hated it. And then in college, I completely fell away. Um, I didn't really believe in God. I didn't believe in the whole Jesus thing. I only prayed when I felt like I was on my deathbed, honestly. So, um, God puts people in your life for a reason, and um, <laughs> there was a time in college, I was probably a junior, I had joined the party crowd, um, I call it my careless phase, because I really did not care about anyone or anything, including myself, and all I wanted to do was have fun and basically just live my life how I wanted it. Then, I met a man named Joseph. If you don't know him, he's my husband. Um, Joseph and I met at college, and his he grew up in the church. His parents went to a little church out here in Monroe, and I wanted to impress them, so I went to church with them. And I remember the first few times I went to church, I scoffed at the sermons. I was like, this is dumb. I don't really think that I believe this. And... I just had a hardened heart, basically. But Joseph and I continued to date, and eventually we found out that we were pregnant. Um, being young, unmarried, 
in college and pregnant, I felt alone, terrified, um, and I felt like my biggest fear was coming true, that I was a disappointment, basically was what it was boiling down to. And I turned to the only thing that Pastor Mike was talking about on Sunday, and that was Jesus. Very hesitantly, I will add. <laughs> so fast forward a couple months, and we have this beautiful new baby. Some of you know him as Jay. And um, to know him is to love him. But <laughs> um, I just remember the first few weeks of having Jay, I would stare at him for hours and just be like, holy smokes, <laughs> if I can have and receive this healthy, beautiful baby boy that I'm incredibly unworthy of after all that I've done, and there's got to be something out there, somebody, someone, probably a guy named Jesus, giving me massive amounts of grace from my life. And so I decided to follow him. I decided to give my life to Jesus. And I underlined twice, very hesitantly, because I was. Um, hold on, let me find where I'm at. Okay. So whenever you become a new believer, you're usually hungry for more. I had kind of heard of the stories growing up, but I wanted to know more. I wanted to read them for myself. So I dusted off the Bible in my closet, and we went back to school. Um, and I had about two hours each day between classes, and I would go to the UGA library, fourth floor. They had little cubicles. You could close the door and be by yourself. And I would read the Bible for two hours, basically. Um, I didn't have a reading plan. I didn't have a Bible study. I had a highlighter and a Bible, and I started at Genesis 1 and worked my way through. I didn't read the whole thing, but... I got to Leviticus, and it was kind of hard. <laughs> so it was really hard for me to interpret what I was reading. Um, but with me and my highlighter, I would highlight the words that really stuck out to me, and I would pray over that. And my prayer life became fruitful. I was seeing that, oh, my gosh, I see God every day. Like, I see him in the details, and I see him in my everyday life, I'm going to set myself on fire. Um, I see him in my everyday life. And while that was hard times, I mean, two broke college kids going to school full time with a baby was hard, but it was joyful times because we were constantly in the word. We were constantly praying. We constantly had Jesus on our hearts. But then we graduated. We got adulty jobs. Um, we bought a house. We got another baby, bought cars, all these things. And all the excuses of life got in the way, and I fell out of the word. And going from five days a week in the Bible to I got a gold star if I got one time in the Bible a week. Uh, prayer life of, you know, two hours by myself to maybe five minutes, if that, honestly. Prayer before dinner and bedtime sometimes. Then I came on staff at Grace, and I thought, okay, for sure have to get my life together now. I am in ministry, got to do it. So I gave it a well-intentioned, half-hearted try. <laughs> um, I uh, would read the Bible basically just to be able to teach it to the kids, you know, because that's what I do. And <laughs> eventually, when you tell the same stories over and over again, you don't need to read it anymore because you have 
memorize it. So I basically stopped reading it. And I remember one day, I don't struggle with anxiety all the time, but sometimes I do get it. And one time it was really bad. I couldn't sleep. I was always anxious, had that like feeling of dread constantly. And I asked God, I was like, why do I, why do I feel like this? Why am I anxious, Lord? Why can't I sleep? And he so graciously said, do you even know where your Bible is? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> it had been weeks. And if you want to know, it was in the trunk of my car. And if you've seen the trunk of my car, it is the pit of misery. Like, things just get lost back there. So it had been weeks since I even cracked it open. But what I love, I love when um, sermons, pastors talk about um, how the enemy is not creative. You're not going to struggle with shopping one day and then wake up and have a gambling problem. He's not creative. He's going to go after the same sins. He knows your weaknesses. On the flip side, though, God is creative, and he knows you, and he wants to go after you. So he knows me and how competitive I am. I do not let my kids win at Uno. Cough attack, hold on. <coughs> I do not let my kids win at Uno. <coughs> and um, he basically put it on my heart. He was like, as a challenge, I challenge you to read a psalm a day for 150 days. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm in. That's a challenge, absolutely. So on the first day of school, I started to read the psalms um, one a day. Now, pause that story. We're going to go to a different story. Um, that little voice in my head that said, God isn't real, Jesus isn't real, none of this matters, it never fully went away. It was always lingering in the back of my head. Is this worth it? Is this real? Is what I'm doing even worth it? And the way I would combat that is God is in the details. And I know that sounds so cliche, but when you actually look at the details, it's mind-blowing. So my husband studied horticulture in college. He knows a lot about plants. And when we're riding in the car, um, he'll tell me fun facts about trees. And he, he used to brush it off, but I would think to myself, like, that is not on accident. That is a divine creation, and there's no way this can accidentally happen. So that's how I would start reframing my mind, is God is in the details, even in the plants and the trees. And then I found this book. I found this book called The Hidden Life of Trees. It's actually fascinating. Did you know that trees have community just like people? That they have language and they have social status and that they help each other stay alive? It was fascinating, and I compared it to humans. So, again, God is in the details. I was like, this is not by accident. So now you know my obsession with trees. That, um, what was it? My obsession with trees that God put on my heart to meditate, very specific meditate on the Psalms, and um, that I look for God in the details. So I opened Psalm 1. And verse 2, 3 stuck out like a sore thumb. And it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. 
So the first psalm talks about how you meditate on the law, and it is your delight, and then it compares us to a tree. I was like, okay, Lord, I hear you loud and clear. So um, I, ever since then, I've been reading a psalm a day. Um, I'm on day, like, 97. I think today I do, do a psalm 98. I read at night. Um, and I used to try to make it more complicated than it is. I used to try to do the commentaries, and I bought books and studies and all of these things. But at the end of the day, I really just wanted to hear what God had to say. I wanted to hear his words directly from him. So <clears throat> if you're struggling to get into the word, like me, and I'm, this is even my job, then I encourage you to start in the Psalms. Because what's amazing about the Psalms is that it gives you the language of prayer. That's what they're doing. They're praying just in a song. And it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. I mean, it's ideal if you spend a lot of time in the Word. But even starting at five minutes, Psalm 1 is six verses. So I just go in. I read the psalm. I highlight what sticks out to me. And I pray over that. One day I just literally prayed a psalm because the language was so beautiful. It was there. So, where am I? Okay. So, um, wrapping this up. Yes. Okay, wrapping this up. Um, I wanted to add a fun creative element um, before Brittany comes up. And um, underneath your chairs is a free car. I'm just kidding. It's a um, cardstock and two grounds. So when I first read the psalm, when I first read the psalm, I, um, I painted a picture of a tree as I meditated over it. And um, I want you guys to read over Psalm 1. It can be verse, just verse 2 and 3 or the whole thing. And um, draw or color a tree as you meditate over it. This is what mine looked like. It is probably going to end up in the Louvre one day. So um, it does not have to be fancy, but <clears throat> being in the Word is about connecting to God. It's about hearing what he has to say to you about others in your life. And it's amazing how many times I'll go through a day, and then at the end of the day, I'll read my psalm, and it has something to connect to the day. For instance, at our if table, we talked about how the fiery darts of the enemy are like that scene in 300 where the arrows come through and end up on the shield, and then they take it down and like this. Just that, that, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, great. I'm talking about 300 at a women's event. Okay. Um, uh, so, yes, and then I get home and read the psalm, and the psalm is basically eight verses about how the Lord is our shield. And so I was like, God is in the details, right? So I encourage you to meditate in the psalms. If you're struggling, start there. Just five minutes a day reading the psalms, praying over it, praying for people, praying for yourself, your family. And um, you can go ahead and start your tree.
Hi. There we are. Um, my name is Brittany. Uh, we have been, my husband and I have been part of Grace for like 10 years now. We got two little boys running around uh, that are nine and six. So if you, we have really thoroughly enjoyed our time here. Um, and I'm going to jump in. Um, so let me start by saying that I come before you and I recognize that what I'm sharing uh, might be hard and um, my story may not look like you would expect. Um, my prayer tonight is that you're able to see how God has worked in my life uh, and then out of that you recognize ways that God is working in your life. Um, I'm here as evidence that God is good and you can trust him. So I grew up going to church uh, every Wednesday, sometimes twice on Sundays. It's just what we did. Um, and then at fifth, in fifth grade, I accepted the Lord um, as my Savior. Um, and, I and I was baptized, and I remember feeling different, but I, I, I did not really understand the gravity of what it really meant for Jesus to die on the cross for me. Um, as I grew up and I experienced more of the world around me, um, I was a deeply insecure person. Um, I craved acceptance and approval from other people, <clears throat> and I craved it more than I craved authenticity and understanding who God called me to be. Um, and by college, I had drifted away from Jesus. Uh, he felt intangible and out of touch. Um, and so I gravitated towards people that were just as lost as I was. I lived a worldly life focused on myself and my own desires. And I wore a mask that I could swap out anytime I needed, depending on who I was with. By the grace of God, I met my husband during that time. And we got married and had a beautiful baby boy. And Jesus was part of our lives, um, but still only a small part. Uh, he was more of like a vending machine God. We checked in every now and then when I needed him. Um, but I definitely was not nurturing any kind of relationship with him. We attended church sporadically, but for the most part, we were just kind of living our lives the way that we wanted to live. Sean and I were comfortable, and we had hit our goals. We, we got married, we had a home, and we started a family. We were smooth sailing, right? We had arrived. However, in the course of arriving, we were not nurturing a relationship with each other or with God. And we were trapped in a sea of complacency, commitment, and routine. We loved each other. We've always loved each other. But we had settled, assuming that this is just what, what life looks like when you have a family. And it was during that time that I stepped outside of the bonds of my marriage. Now, as I said, I accepted Christ as my savior in fifth grade, but it was not until my world completely shattered as my husband walked out the door that I met Jesus as my Lord of my life. 
I met him on the floor of my closet in a pool of tears, and he gently reminded me that he had never left. He was with me. And he was going to lead me out of the mess that I had created. That night began a radical shift in my life. I no longer wanted to live a life on my own, um, according to my own plan or desires. I obviously had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I craved Jesus, and I craved his acceptance, and I craved the peace that I felt in his presence, even when there was nothing but chaos around me. Sean returned the next day, and he had conditions. We're going to counseling, and we're going to church. Okay. I desperately complied. I was all in. As we entered the doors of our home church here, um, we were greeted by sweet souls that never shamed us for our absence. We were welcomed with open arms. People celebrated that we were back, that we were here. And then as I sat, I sat down in the sanctuary, <laughs> the message that morning by our sweet pastor um, was a new series on the book of Hosea, which is the book about the prophet whose wife was unfaithful, for those of you that were not sure about that. However, in his grace, God was letting me know that he saw me and he was with me. And I felt confirmation that I was exactly where I should be. God led us out of the darkness, and his healing grace restored our marriage, and we now center that marriage on God. That closet encounter with Jesus was years ago, but he has been so faithful to continue his work in me. And he has been so patient as I am slowly learning to surrender and let go of the lies that I have wrapped my arms so tightly around. Now, let me pause for a second, because in the middle of this surrender, I took the time to pray into my identity, okay? God, who, do you, who am I, and what do you call me? What does that mean? And during that prayer, I was given the, the image of Jesus sitting before me wearing a necklace with a gem on it. And he was, he was wearing it proudly, and he just smiled at me. And he let me know that I am his radiant gem, and one he wears proudly. He then, he went on to confirm that through other friends or, you know, other, other little ways, the details um, throughout that next week. I wrestled with that. That sounded so prideful and so, <laughs> I had not lived a life that I would assume that Jesus would be particularly proud of. Um, and to be honest, the, the weight of the veil of my insecurity and the weight of the shame that I was carrying just would not allow me to believe it. And so I put that on a shelf and set it aside, assume, you know, maybe it'll make sense one day and I'll just leave that alone. And then over the years, during this surrender, Jesus has shown me images of myself tangled up in just a, a mess of vines, thorny vines. But they are vines that prevent my own mobility and they restrict, but they're vines that I've grown so comfortable with. 
by myself, I can't get out of them. But with Jesus, I can do all of it. He's never promised me that it would be easy or smooth, but he's, he has definitely said that I would never be alone, and that has been true. Um, together, he will we'll identify a vine, and we'll dig it up, just one by one. Now, some of the beautiful things that he has shown me, um, I'm going to share with you. So Ephesians 2.6 is one of them. He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. We are united with Christ Jesus. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We don't have to climb. We don't have to strive to get there. We're there. Later in the same letter, verse 10 Um, Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece, y'all. When Jesus, when he looks at me, he doesn't see the sins of my past. He's already covered that with his blood. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. I am a new creation. But what about those old sins that I keep repeating, those deeply ingrained bad habits that are not reflecting the nature of Jesus? Um, The times that instead of pausing to gain my composure, I say something snap at my kids or rather than responding in love I revert to old selfish ways or you're just worn out when I'm worn out by my own sin there I go I did it again Jesus recently reminded me of Philippians 2 13 for God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him said another way in the amplified version which is up here for you For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively working in you both to will and to work. That is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Amen. (laughs) Now, let me get back to the identity. So I began a journey of looking into what, what is God saying when he calls me head gym? Well, a quick overview of what goes into the making of a gym. So a gym is pressurized rock and mineral that um, is in the dirt. Someone has to recognize what they're seeing. They have to recognize what's beneath the surface and then gently remove that from the dirt and polish it. And then in order for it to, dis- to truly display um, its beauty within the gym, it's best to shine a light on it. I was totally covered in filth, and Jesus recognized what was beneath the surface. And in his gentle nature, 
He recovered me, and he is slowly replacing the dirt and the lies that I have held for so long with the, with the truth, with his beautiful truth. He is patiently reminding me that I am his radiant gem, intended to reflect his glory. And I am believing that more and more each day as he is replacing the lies with the truth of my creator. So here I am, removing the mask that lets you think that I have it all together, or I have lived a perfect life, and I am reflecting the amazing redemption of Jesus. I am a work in progress, and he is faithful to continue his sanctification. And God sees you too as his radiant gem. You are his creation, his masterpiece. And he wants you to hear him call your name, daughter. He wants to pour his light into your life so that your life may reflect his glory. So we're going to take a minute and we're going to play a song that speaks so personally to me. Um, I ask that you guys close your eyes and just listen to it, kind of soak in the words. And may you risk opening yourself up to our gentle and merciful creator and see what happens when you allow your life to be a reflection of his glory. Could you fall so far? You should be ashamed of yourself. So I was ashamed of myself. The lies I believed. They got some roots, they run deep. I let them take a hold of my life. I let them take control of my life. Standing in your presence, Lord, I can feel you digging all the roots up. I feel you healing all my wounds up. All I can say is hallelujah. Suddenly all the shame is gone I thought I was too broken Now I see You were breaking new ground inside of me Standing in your presence, Lord I can feel you digging all my roots up I feel you healing all my wounds up All I can say is hallelujah Look what you've done Look what you've done in me You spoke your truth
Hello? All right. Guys, that song was, ooh, that got me fired up. <clears throat> My name is Jess, and I'm quite nervous, so if you can hang with me through this, like, big adrenaline rush that I'm having right now, <laughs> I would appreciate it. I think I'll settle in, and <laughs> we'll be okay. <laughs> um, definitely not the public speaker type, so. But I'm here to share with you a little bit of my story, um, which is really a story of hope. In 2019, my little family, which is my husband and me, and my two little boys moved from Jacksonville Beach, Florida to Brazelton, Georgia. If you don't know where Brazelton is, that's about 45 minutes north of here. That was a super hard transition for us because I'll be honest, we loved our life at the beach. I mean like really loved our life, okay? <laughs> we had friends that felt like family. We were deeply involved in our community and we were very rooted in our church. And we lived half a mile away from the beach and Trader Joe's. So I was really not interested <laughs> in leaving anytime soon, but the Lord had other plans for us. And the details of why we left is kind of another story for another day. Um, but what you do need to know is we moved to Brazelton in February of 2019, and that was a really emotional and hard transition for us. And six months in to our life in Brazelton, I experienced a freak incident to my back that threw my back out and really began a nearly two-year incident, a nearly two-year um, journey with my health. It was such a freak incident that I was doing something super boring and normal. I wish I had an exciting story for that, but um, I was actually folding laundry on the floor while my two little boys who were four years old and 18 months old at the time were taking a nap. And after however long it takes to fold a mountain of laundry, probably 20 or 30 minutes, I stood up and my back was completely frozen. I know I'm not the only person in this room to have thrown their back out, so there's probably some people in here who can relate to that. That is a super bizarre experience because you go from like, I'm normal, to now I can't move without pain. <laughs> I pretty much thought after a few days of rest that it would kind of resolve itself and we could sort of move on to life as normal, but the weekend came and went and I was still unable to get out of bed. So my wonderful family, jumped into action super quickly, um, which if you know my family, you know that's very much their MO, is to quickly jump into action on things. And my mom pretty much created like a rotating schedule of who would be coming to our house to take care of me and my kids every day while my husband went to work. Um, we did not know what was going on. We did not have any answers. And many days turned into many weeks and I was still unable to get out of bed or get up off the couch. If I could have that water, that would be legit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I won't make you suffer through like the dry mouth. So after about two months of my family taking care of us every day, my husband and I pretty much decided that we needed to hire a full-time caregiver. I was unable to stand up on my own. I could not walk on my own. 
I could not use the bathroom on my own. I could not eat a meal on my own. I could not put my own clothes on. Um, it is a super humbling experience to have your 83-year-old grandmother put your pants on for you as a full-grown adult. Um, we had a caregiver who was wonderful, and she would come to our home every day uh, in the morning when Trevor would leave for work, my husband, when he would leave for work, and she would stay until he got home after work in the evenings. He did everything, he being my husband, did everything for me. He learned how to shave my legs. He learned how to wash and blow dry my hair, which is really a task, okay? <laughs> and the lowest point during that whole season was seeing my 18-month-old. Um, there was one day where he fell and bumped his head and was crying, and he reached for the caregiver instead of me. And... Um, being the wonderful caregiver that she was, she scooped him up and walked him around and um, comforted him until he was calm again. And I had to watch helplessly on the couch um, as somebody else comforted my baby. Honestly, that was the most hopeless I think I've probably ever felt. And um, I quickly spiraled into this um, hyper-focused situation where I was like, we have got to get a diagnosis, we have got to get a treatment plan, we have got to get out of this suffering like as quickly as possible. And all of my prayers really sounded like that. God, please give us a diagnosis, please give us a treatment, and please get us out of this suffering as quickly as possible. I am allergic to this suffering. It was in those really uh, honest prayers that the Lord drew my attention to this passage that I had never read Honestly, do you ever read something and you're like, ah, that's in the Bible? I had that experience. So if you'll read in 2 Corinthians with me, we're starting in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. And I'm going to stop right there and just explain what that means because that's really poetic, but it's also super important. Um, the treasure that Paul is referring to right there is knowledge of the glory of God. In the jars of clay is an ancient metaphor that was really commonly used for our human weakness. So what he is saying is that in our human weakness, we carry with us knowledge of the glory of God. I'm fired up already on this verse. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. If you skip on to verse 16, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So when I first read this passage, um, I was annoyed and a little offended because Paul basically just called my suffering light and momentary affliction. Um, and it did not feel light or momentary. But as I continued to wrestle with this passage, I started to realize he is comparing our eternal, our earthly suffering with eternity. Our human bodies are temporary, but our souls are eternal. So in light of that, yeah, anything that we go through in this life is light and momentary. 
that was really the first time that I had started to realize that my hope, I had been placing my hope in my circumstances. I had been placing my hope in whether or not I lived at the beach. I had been placing my hope in whether or not I liked the town that I lived in. I had been placing my hope in whether or not I could care for my kids and whether or not I lived a pain-free life. Those are not bad things to want either, by the way. They're just really weak and really temporary places to hang your hope. So around month three, I met the most wonderful neurosurgeon who pretty much changed my life and gave me an accurate diagnosis. And he also gave me a treatment plan. The crazy thing is, and it's really not that crazy because it's God, but I'm just, it's so wild to me that once I started to learn about this diagnosis, I started to realize that all the, um, the experts in this diagnosis, I'm talking about like national experts in this diagnosis, are near Brazelton. So do you remember in the beginning of the story when I was like, I didn't want to leave the beach, and I basically left kicking and screaming, and we moved to Brazelton. Like, there's nothing wrong with Brazelton. I just didn't understand why the Lord was calling us there. He was providing for us. He was providing for our lowest moment when we could not even see what we would need. So I began all the many treatments that are involved. So I was going to the chiropractor several times a week, physical therapy several times a week. I was having dry needling several times a week. I was getting steroid injections into my SI joint. It was a lot. And I still was not able to walk on my own. Um, and I couldn't sit, um, which is weird. Um, so I obviously couldn't drive. So between my mom and my grandmother and our caregiver, I pretty much had like a rotating schedule of people who were driving me to all these different appointments. But thankfully, after about six months of this, uh, I had started to be able to walk a little bit on my own, um, which was more like this very awkward shuffle. So if you knew me at the time, you know exactly the shuffle that I'm talking about. Um, I, I was able to start driving short distances. In around nine months, I no longer needed a full-time caregiver. Although I was gaining my functioning back and I could do normal things like, you know, make lunch for my kids or take a shower on my own without somebody helping me, um, I was still really struggling with severe chronic pain. Um, and at that point, my perspective had started to change. And verse 8 became my battle cry. So we're going to read it again. We're afflicted in every way. And guys, if you have the NIV version, that's my favorite. It says, we are hard-pressed on all sides, but not crushed. Why are we not crushed? Because we're eternal souls and our hope is in eternity. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why are we not destroyed? Because our hope is in eternity. So around the one-year mark, I was still really suffering with chronic pain, um, but I had gained a lot of this functioning, a lot of my daily functioning back, um, and I started a new treatment. And this treatment was brutal. It was another very low moment in this whole situation. It was a series of injections that I would go for every couple of weeks that were deep into the ligaments around like my hip and lower back. Um, and it basically didn't do anything. So around month 20, my husband and I finally made the decision that we were going to have a uh, surgery. 
And if you're thinking to yourself, like, what in the heck took you so long to have surgery? <laughs> it's because it's really not a black and white kind of surgery where they say, here's your problem, here's a surgery, and then it will be fixed and you can go on your way. It was more like, here's your problem, here's a potential solution that we can try, we'll see if it helps. So they were, you know, continuing to say, you know, surgery is your last option, is your last option. So I exhausted everything. So we decided to have the surgery. And the reason why I was able to say yes to this surgery and have peace about that decision is because my hope was not in the outcome of that surgery. My perspective had radically changed and my hope was no longer in whether or not I live a pain-free life. My hope is not in the three screws that hold my SI joint together. My hope is not in whether or not this surgery works. I was able to go into that surgery saying, truly believing in my heart, if this works, Praise God. Glory to God. I want it to work. Please, God, let it work. But if this doesn't work, my God is still good, and my hope is in eternity. So in April of this year, I had SI joint fusion surgery, in case you're curious, um, and it worked. Guess what? <laughs> I do not have chronic pain. Um, yay. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Um, but I do still struggle, and I really struggle now. It's hard to explain, but I struggle with anxiety now. Um, I know that back pain is normal, especially for somebody who has like a already existing back problem. But any flicker of a back pain sends me like sweaty panic. Do you know what kind of panic I'm talking about? Where you're like, oh no, and it's just like, you know, the, the like hair stands up on your arms. And so I really, like, this, this lesson about where my hope is, this is not like a one and done. I still lean into this passage. And that's when verse 16 just gets me so fired up. We do not lose heart. I mean, command that. Command that to yourself. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, not to our circumstances, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So I ask you ladies tonight, where are you placing your hope? Is it in your circumstances? Is it in where you live? Is it in your relationships? Is it in whether or not you can have a baby? Is it in your fitness goals? Is your hope in the gym? Where are you placing your hope? Those are not bad things to want, and those are not bad things to pray for, but they are weak and temporary things to place your hope in. So tonight I invite you for the next few minutes to um, pray and confess those things to the Lord and um, come up to the altar, take communion. Let's worship together as we lift our eyes up from our circumstances and from ourselves and on to the hope that is eternal that we have in Jesus.
is kind of cool for a grace thing, right? So we're going to hang out here in this space for just a minute and just reflect on some things. Reflect on the words that were spoken over us. Respect over, reflect over uh, the encouragements given to us. Uh, the elements of communion are up here. There are people around this room that would love to receive your prayers and that would love to pray with you. Um, so we're just going to take a minute and just get in front of God. Because we very easily forget to do that. So let's just lean into him for a minute.
go ahead and stay with us if you're done. If you're not, keep doing what you're doing. If you're not done, keep praying. We're going to go ahead and hop into this song. This is my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Oh, I did not trust the My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I did not trust the sweetest spring, but only trust Jesus Christ.
here it is. Amen. Oh, man. One thing is for sure that I'm reminded of. God is working, isn't he? He's working in us. He's working around us. And sometimes that doesn't feel like the most true thing, but I'm reminded tonight it is. He's coming after all of us because he wants you. He cares about you. You're his, right? So that's the verse. That's what it says. God is working in us. It's that Ephesians verse 2.13. Amen. I wanted to read over us one of the passages that was referenced tonight. This will be our benediction. So hear it, receive it, walk out of here and know it's true. 2 Corinthians 5. So we've stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, I did, as though he were merely a human being. How differently I think about him now. What this means is that those who become Christians become new people. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people back to him. For God, in Christ, was reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And this is the wonderful message he has given to us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is using us to speak. We urge you, and I urge you, as though Christ were here himself pleading with you, be reconnected to God. Say yes, come back home. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partner, I beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. So receive it in turn. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we say yes. We need you. We want you. Thank you that you're coming after us and you're waiting for us to turn and say, help, we need you. We want you to move. We need you to shift our hope to you and to someone who can hold it and carry it and carry us. Lord Jesus, show us what that looks like as we leave this place and what it looks like tomorrow and the next day that we can live that this is true and know that you are working. You never stop working. And you're giving us the desire and the power to do what you've called us to do. Thank you, God. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. Good night.